One of the most significant categories of belief in your life are your beliefs about yourself. This message is the fifth in the series, Believable. The message is entitled, What Do You Believe About You? Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Your belief system is very important. What you believe will determine how you think about life. It will determine your behavior. Beliefs really drive lots of different things. I would say that beliefs are really the software of your soul. It's extremely important that you and I make sure that we're believing the right things because when you believe the wrong thing, it will set your life on a wrong course. When you believe the right thing, it sets you in the right trajectory for life. And so we have to think about what we believe and make sure that we're believing the right things about God, the right things about ourselves, the right things about other people, the right things about the world around us. Your beliefs really do matter. And one of the areas where your beliefs really are very significant is the area of your belief about you. What do you believe about you? How do you define you? If someone asks you, who are you? What's your identity? How do you view yourself? How we think of ourselves will set us up for living life a certain way. And I would submit to you today that I believe a lot of us, even as Christian believers, we have, we have an identity crisis, or for some of us, we've had our personal identity stolen from us from the standpoint of how we view ourselves. That is, we don't see ourselves the way we need to see ourselves because we've defined ourselves either by ourselves or by the world around us. We've never really learned the most important thing in life. What does God think about you? How does God define you? When God calls your name, when God thinks of you, when God works in your life, what is God's view of you? Because God's view of you is more important, more valuable, and more true than your view of yourself. And so part of what I want to do this weekend and next weekend is I want to talk to you about the way God sees you. What, what is God's identity of you? And what should your identity be of you based upon God's perspective of you? And so there are going to be 14 things I'm going to share with you in these two weekends that will help you to understand God's perspective of you. You get a new identity for your life. I'm only going to share seven of those today. We'll look at seven uh, additional ones next, next weekend. So I want to encourage you to be a part of both of these weekends together because this is going to form how you view you. So let me share with you seven things today that that reflect on or indicate God's perspective of you. Number one, the Bible teaches us that God, from God's perspective, you are a masterpiece created by God. You're God's masterpiece. That word masterpiece is a lovely word in and of itself. It's a word that means a person's greatest work of art. That's what it means. It's a word that describes a consummate expression of skill and a consummate expression of excellence. It describes the work that's done with extraordinary skill, with extraordinary ability. And God says that you are, you are his work of art, that you are his masterpiece. And a masterpiece is always highly valued. When you talk about purchasing a wonderful masterpiece of art, from someone like Leonardo da Vinci or someone of that nature. There's no way that you could perhaps afford to buy one. That's why museums have them in their care so that many people can see them. They're highly valued and you're highly valued by God because you are a masterpiece of God and every masterpiece is a unique expression of the artist's creativity and the artist's design. When God made you, he made it in, in a unique way. There is no one like you, amen? No one like you. You're a masterpiece. You're a created person designed by God Almighty. Listen to God's description of his creation of mankind, which includes you and me in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. What an amazing statement. 
in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, that's you and me, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we see that God's hand was in the shaping and the design of humanity. And his design is in you. You are a masterpiece of God. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. The psalmist David was looking at his own life one day and really reflecting upon what God had done just in creating him. And he makes this statement. It's more of a praise to God than it really is a prayer. So he declares this, for you created my inmost being. He's talking to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I wonder if you could say that about yourself. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you might say I'm frightfully made. But no, God says that you're fearfully made. That means reverently, that there is a sense of awe and reverence about who you are and how God has wonderfully put you together. You should not despise you because God highly values you. And then notice Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I want us to read this one together loud and loudly. Let's all declare it at all of our campuses. Here we go. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. The Bible says very clearly that we are God's masterpiece. You are a masterpiece of the great designer God, the great artist God created you and designed you. Do not despise you because you despise yourself because God highly values you as a masterpiece. The second thing that we learn about our identity is that in Jesus Christ, we are a new person. You're a new person in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Who are you? You're a masterpiece of God and you're a new person in Jesus Christ. That phrase in Jesus Christ is very important. You're going to see it pop up several times in some of our, our verses as we go through them today. And I want you to see that there is something that happens to you when you put your faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you are now in Christ. Would you say that phrase with me? In Christ. I have a little cough drop in my hand here. I'm going to illustrate it this way, that when you put faith in Jesus, say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. You are now placed where? In Christ. Now, where are you now? In Christ. So you are in Him. He's in you. You're in Him. You're surrounded by. You are secure in relationship with Christ. You're in Him. Now, this is important to understand. You'll see as we go through this today. You're no longer in Satan's kingdom. You're now in God's kingdom. Isn't that good to know? You're no longer in darkness. You're now in light, okay? You're no longer the old person you used to be, but in Christ, you are new. There's a new you living in you, okay? This is important to understand because when you come to an understanding of being a new you, there's a new you in you, then you begin to behave differently. Your life changes. Listen to Jesus' words to a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was inquiring about how he could have eternal life, now he could have a relationship with God, and Jesus said these words to him. Nicodemus was a very religious man, but Jesus said this. He replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, what's the phrase there? born again. And so when you accept Jesus Christ, you're born again and put in Christ and you become new. You have a new nature. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Let me read this uh, to you from the New King James Version. It's not going to be on the screen, but listen as I read it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is, say the phrase with me, in Christ, okay? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so I want you to know today that this is your identity. Who are you? When someone asks you, who are you? Number one, I am a masterpiece created by God. There is no one like me. The great artist of heaven created me and designed me uniquely. I am special and valuable to him. I'm unique. There is no one like me. I am God's masterpiece, and I am also a new creation. I have a new nature. I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. Number three, who are you? You're righteous. You are made righteous. The word righteous is a word that means to be in right standing with God, to be in right standing with God, to have things right in your life. That's all it means, to be in right standing with God and to have the right things in your life. That's what righteous means. And let me explain this righteousness thing that happens. When Jesus died on the cross, listen closely, when he died on the cross, what happened was, the Bible teaches us, and we'll read some verses about this in a moment, that God took the sins, our sins, my sins, your sins, the sins of all the world, and placed the punishment and the guilt of those sins where? On Jesus, right? Okay. So Jesus took our sins upon himself. He paid the price for our sins, all right? And so when we put our, in Jesus, did Jesus ever sin himself? No, Jesus was sinless, so Jesus was perfect righteousness, correct? Okay. Jesus always did the right thing, amen? Jesus was always right. Jesus never did wrong. He never sinned. He always did the right thing. So Jesus was righteous, but nevertheless, God took our sin, although Jesus had never sinned himself, Jesus took our sin and put it over on Jesus so that Jesus on the cross died for our sins. That's what it means. He paid the price, the penalty for what we owed God. And then when you put your faith in Christ and you get in Christ, what happens is while Jesus took your sins, he now gives you the gift of his righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that for a moment, that he clothes you with robes of righteousness, that he actually exchanges your sins for his righteousness, and you're counted right in right standing with God. That's an amazing thing to consider, that God says, now you're right with me, not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did, and here is a gift given to you, the gift of righteousness. And because you've been given the gift of righteousness, and you have a new nature, what it does is it changes the way you live your life. You don't want to live the same way anymore. What happens when you become a believer and come into Christ, the old things that you used to do really aren't fun anymore. When you go and try to do the same kind of sins you used to do and have a good time doing them, you're miserable doing them now because you have a new nature in you. and You can't really go back into that world and be happy about it because you're now living with a new nature and it is contrary, the old nature, the sinful nature is contrary to who Jesus has now made you to be. It ruins you for sin which is a good thing, by the way. Listen to the scriptures here. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, him is Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, you got it? In him, we might become the 
righteousness of God. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Let me stop there for a moment. So Paul is writing a letter to Christians in a place called Ephesus, and he calls them God's holy or God's righteous people. Now think with me for a moment. The people of Ephesus were no better than we are. They had problems and issues just like we do. But nevertheless, God calls them his holy people, his saints, his righteous ones, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want you to see is that in Christ, God says, now I've made you one of my holy people. I've made you one of my saints. It's been said there are only two kinds of people in the world, the saints and the ain'ts. So the question is, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you're one of the saints. You're not an ain't anymore, okay? Take a look with me now at the fourth point. Let me just review where we've been so far. Who are you when someone walks up and says, hey, who are you? When you begin to think about your own identity, who are you? You're a masterpiece created by Almighty God, amen? You're a, you're a person that has a new nature. You're a new person in Jesus Christ. You've been made righteous by Christ. You're in right standing with Him. And number four, you're accepted. You now belong to God's family. You are accepted. There's nothing that perhaps destroys or twists the human soul affects a person's identity more than rejection. Anyone that's walked through painful rejection, maybe in a childhood when you've gone through maybe horrible rejection or abandonment in childhood or gone through life and had terrible rejections that have happened to you, maybe through romantic situations or marriages that have failed or whatever it might have been, people that rejected you in very devastating ways, you know the pain of rejection that you carry around inside of you. It's an awful thing. It warps, it twists, it breaks the human soul. Rejection is very devastating. And while we may not have even experienced rejection to the degree that some experiences, most, most experience that most of us carry around inside of us, at least the fear of rejection. If we haven't been rejected, we're afraid that we're going to be. Because there's something lacking in many of our hearts, and that's the sense of acceptance, the sense that I'm okay. And so the fear of rejection or past rejections can drive you to lots of bad behavior. There are a lot of people that will compromise their morality only to be accepted. If I do this, even though I really don't want to do it, it's not really my value system, but I'm going to do it anyway so that this group, this person will accept me. And so lots of compromises happen by that. There are people, for example, that'll go and buy a car, not because they just like the car, because they have to have that model, because that model of car speaks of success. It speaks of acceptance. If I drive that, then maybe Maybe I'll feel important. Maybe other people will think I'm important. And so the car choice becomes some way of trying to accomplish a sense of acceptance on the inside. Or some folks will go head over heels in debt trying to buy a house they can't afford just to impress people they don't care anyway. So they buy this big house to say, you know what, I'm going to be somebody if I can live in a house like that, then it makes me feel like I'm worth something. Now, there's nothing wrong with driving a nice car and nothing wrong with living in an appropriate house or living in the house that you can afford. Nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying to you is that many times what's going on inside a person's psyche is they're trying to find some sense of acceptance, some sense of worth. If I can have this and I'll feel good about me, people will like me. People will think I'm somebody. I want you to know this morning, you don't need a 
certain car to be somebody. You don't have to live in a certain kind of house to be somebody. You don't have to wear a certain kind of clothes to be somebody. You don't have to have a certain amount of net worth to be somebody. In Jesus Christ, you are somebody, okay? You are somebody. You're somebody that Jesus gave his life for. That's how valuable and worthwhile you are, that you belong. You've now been brought in Christ into the family of God. You have been accepted by the one that really matters. Right now, it really doesn't matter if the whole world rejects you because God says, in Christ, I have accepted you. So important to grasp. It changes everything about the way we live. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Speaking of Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That is, Jesus himself experienced rejection. He came to his own, that which was his own, but his own did not receive him or rejected him. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, what did he do? He gave the right to become children of God. When you believed in his name, you became one of God's children. Romans 8 verses 15 through 17. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. The better translation of that, perhaps very close to what we would like to think of in our world is we now call him Dad. We call him Daddy. We call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. That's another whole story in and of itself and teaching. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Ephesians 5 verse 1, imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are, what are you? His dear children. 1 John chapter 3, 1 and 2, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. You see the phrase again? We are children of God. And what, will, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I want you to know today, who are you? You're accepted by Almighty God. You're a part of His family. You belong. Don't worry about re- rejection any longer. You've been accepted by the one that matters. Number five, who are you? Let's review again. Number one, you're God's masterpiece. Amen? That's who you are. That's what God says about you. Number two, you're a new person in Jesus Christ. Number three, who are you? You're righteous. Number four, who are you? You're accepted. You belong. Number five, you contain the Holy Spirit. You carry within you the Spirit of God. You contain the Holy Spirit. This is who you are in Christ. God placed His Holy Spirit inside of you. This shows how incredibly valuable you are to God. If I were to take my most precious gift, the most precious possession that I had, whatever it might be, and I were to come to you and I say, I want you to keep this in your house, okay? Whatever the most precious gift I might have, I would come and say, you know what? I want to put into your house this thing that's so valuable to me. And I want, you to, I want this to be in your house. Would you agree that that would be a high statement of trust on my part toward you? Correct? Okay. Investing in you or giving to your house what's valuable to me? Well, God says what I've done is I've taken of my spirit, 
the third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and I put the Holy Spirit in you. And when you truly believe and understand that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, you will begin to live differently. Because everywhere you go, God goes. Are you, are you with me here? Everywhere you go, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, who also goes with you? God goes with you. And I think all of us need to realize there's some places we ought not take God to. Amen? Okay? There's some things in environment we should not take God into. Because God is with us. And there are places that we go with God and God goes with us. And so there's this journey where we have God living inside us. When you came into relationship with Christ, God put his spirit inside of you. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Don't you know, don't you understand this, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know? Again, he says, don't you understand this? Grasp this, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 2 Timothy 1 verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives where? In us. Romans 11, chapter 8 verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living where? In you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives where? In you, Galatians 4 verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba or daddy, father. And then 1 John chapter 4 verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. Read the rest with me. He has given us of his spirit. So who are you, dear one, this morning? When you think about your life, when you create or understand your identity, the Bible says that you are a carrier, you're a container of the Holy Spirit. God has placed that precious gift inside of you. Everywhere you go, God goes with you. Number six, who are you? You are forgiven. You are forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. I mentioned a moment ago that perhaps the most, one of the most devastating things that can happen to a human being is rejection. And I would venture to say that's probably the case, but this, what I'm going to talk about for a few moments here is perhaps second to that, if not equal to it. And that's guilt and shame. Almost as equally as rejection can wreak havoc on your soul, a sense of guilt and shame about something you've done in your life that lingers around and hangs on to you is just devastating. It eats away at your identity. There are a lot of people that look back on their life, they look at an event that happened, something that they did, or maybe a sequence of things they did, and they can never shake the guilt of it. And the guilt turns into shame. And guilt is a good thing if it leads you to God and to confessing your sins and getting things right with God. It's a good thing. But if you don't deal with guilt the right way, it turns into shame. And shame doesn't just say you did something bad. Shame says you are bad. And shame begins to settle in upon your heart and mind. And it begins to, again, erode your identity. It eats away at the core of your being. Make statements like this. You're a failure. You're a fake. You're a phony. You're never going to make it. Look at the bad things that you've done. And it leaves you with a sense of condemnation. And condemnation, really, the, the word is best def defined by the word itself. It condemns you. 
Think about a building that has been condemned. What happens with a building that's been condemned? What is, when there's a mark on the building that says condemned, it means it's no longer of good use. You can't go in. It's, not, it's, it's really set for destruction. And there are a lot of people that are walking around. And externally, they're trying to live life. But internally, there's this big sign condemned on the inside about something they did, a mistake that they made, a sin they committed, a failure that's a part of their life, and they feel condemned about it. It haunts them from their past. It shows up from time to time and torments them in the present. And it condemns them for their future. And I'm talking to somebody here today. I don't know who you are, but I'm talking to somebody here today that you're carrying around inside you. And it shows up from time to time, this big sign on the inside that says guilty, that says shameful, that says condemned. And you've done lots of things to try to shake it and to try to get rid of it, but the guilt still lingers in your life. You're in the right place at the right time today because God's going to demolish your condemnation sign. Amen? Okay. Jesus wants to walk into your soul and rip that condemned sign completely away and say, no, you're not condemned, you are forgiven. Okay. You're forgiven. Okay. This is the wonderful thing about God that we can't fathom. How could God forgive? How could God do this? And only God can do this. Only God can wipe away sin. Only God can say, that was paid for in Jesus Christ. Only God can cleanse your conscience and give you a new and fresh start. But God will do that for you when you apply your faith in Christ, that in Christ you are forgiven. Listen to Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let this speak to your heart this morning. King David spoke of this, describing the happiness of an undeserving sinner who is declared not guilty by God. Blessed and to be envied, he said, are those whose sins are forgiven and put out of sight. Yes, what joy there is for anyone whose sins are no longer counted against them by the Lord. What an amazing thing to think that we can have the joy of realizing that our sins are no longer counted against us by God. He's ripped up that record. It doesn't even exist any longer. He's washed it away by His blood in Christ. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, just as in, just, come on church, just as in Christ, come on, just as in Christ, God did what? God forgave you. 1 John 2, verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Hebrews 10 verse 10, under the new plan, this new plan, speaking of Jesus and the new covenant, we have been forgiven and made clean by Christ dying for us once and for all. My prayer for you today is that in your identity that you would come to recognize, I'm not going to identify with my sins and my failures any longer. I am in Christ. And because I am in Christ, I will walk as a person who is forgiven. I will no longer live under the spirit of condemnation. I don't have condemnation. I have life. I am forgiven. The last thing I want to share with you today about your identity is this. God sees you this way. You can conquer and you can overcome. God says you are a conqueror and you are an overcomer. Another challenge that sometimes people have in life is they have what I would call a defeatist mentality. The defeatist mentality is, you know what, I failed at this, I failed at that, I tried this, it didn't work, I tried this marriage, had this failure, I tried this 
job that didn't work, I tried whatever it might have been, but the sequence of failures in life not only can condemn you, but can get you to the place of just saying, I just, I just give up, I'm just a failure anyway, I'm a loser, okay? And sometimes we don't say that externally, but internally we feel like a loser because we've had so many defeats in life and defeats begin to weigh upon defeats and they begin to build and then suddenly that's our identity who identifies just a, I'm never going to make much of anything out of myself. I'm never going to overcome. It might be a problem in your life. It might be an addiction that you've struggled with. There's someone here today, maybe you struggle with, with an addiction to alcohol or maybe you struggle with an addiction to some kind of, some kind of medication or, 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 or drug and you said, you know what, I've tried before and I've gone to recovery programs and it just never worked. I just, maybe I'll never get over it. I want to tell you today, Jesus designed you to be a conqueror. Okay? Jesus designed you to be an overcomer. You might say, well, there's a problem in my life and my character that I've never been to address or a habit that I've never been able to overcome. And it just seems like I'll never make it past this problem with my anger or this problem with you fill in the blank, whatever it might be. But I'm here to tell you today that in Jesus Christ, you can overcome. In Jesus Christ, you can conquer. Don't buy into the defeatist mentality, okay? Because I want you to see something here. You might be a loser and all of us are losers in certain ways, aren't we? We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, okay? I'll just go ahead and tell you, I'm a loser, okay? Apart from Jesus, I'm a loser. How about you, right? Okay. But here's the good news. When I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life, when you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you are now in... What are you? What are you, church? You are now in Christ. And I will tell you, you might be a loser, but you're now in Christ who is a winner, okay, right, okay? You might have been a loser in your life, but in Christ, you're now in with the one who is victorious. Jesus has never lost, nor will he ever lose. Even when they put him on the cross and killed him and said, we are done with you. We settled the issue. You're done. You're dead. It's over. We have settled our issue. On Easter morning, he popped right back up again, didn't he, okay, right, so, right, okay. So what I want you to see is no matter how down you get, when you're in Christ, there's always an up. I'm about to shout right now, okay? In Jesus Christ, when there's a down in your life, in Him, there's always an up. See, He is the resurrection and He is the life. You don't have to live your life as a loser because in Christ, you are a winner. You're more than a conqueror. Let's take a look at some scriptures here, right? Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. We're just about done. He died once for all to end sin's power, speaking of Jesus, but now he lives forever in unbroken fellowship with God. So look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin, and instead be alive to God, alert to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not let sin control your puny body any longer. Don't you like that phrase, your puny body? You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you, right? Do not give in to its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your bodies become tools of wickedness to be used for sinning. But give yourselves completely to God, every part of you, for you are back from the dead and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His good purposes. Sin need never again be your master. For now you are no longer tied to the law where sin enslaves you, but you are free under God's favor and mercy. Hallelujah for that. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 for the power of the life-giving spirit 
And this power is mine through Christ Jesus, Paul says, has freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. Romans 8, 35 through 37, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, No, despite all these things, over overwhelming victory is ours through or in Christ who loved us. Philippians 4, 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Read it with me. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now I want you to read it with me again. We're going to emphasize two words, the I can. So when we get to the I can, I want you to say those two words as loudly as you can. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, there are two other words I want you to emphasize and say as loudly as possible. The words are through Christ. Let's read it again. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Do you believe that today? That I can do everything in Christ. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For the Spirit... God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. First John chapter 5, verse 4, for everyone born of God, what do they do? Overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who are you, saint? Who are you this morning? What is your identity? Are you still basing your view of you on what you think about you? Are you, viewing, are you basing your view of you on what God says about you? And what does God say about you? Let's review them together. God says that you are a masterpiece. God says that you are a new creature, a new nature in Jesus Christ. God says that you are righteous. God says that you are accepted, that you belong to God's family. God says that you contain the Holy Spirit. God says that you are forgiven. And then God says what? That you can conquer and you can overcome. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're so grateful that we don't have to base our identity off of our own view of ourselves or others view of us. But Lord, we can base our real identity on what you say about us. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we've heard these words, I pray that they would move from our head down into our heart. Lord, we don't want to just have information up in our head. We want revelation in our heart. We want to believe these things are true about us because your word says they're true. And so I ask this morning that in the next days to come, the next weeks to come, the next months to come, I pray for the renewing of the mind, that we'll begin to have our minds renewed by the truth of your word, and we will believe We will choose to believe what you say about us and let it change the behaviors of our life for your glory. We commit these words and the work of your spirit to you today. Work in us deeply, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, 
I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.